to this point in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has chosen 12 of his disciples that he has called apostles. And now he trains them. These men are supposed to be with him and they're supposed to learn everything he's got to teach him. Now, while Jesus is training them, he's speaking to a large group of his disciples. So it's not just 12 following him, it's a huge group of people. But see, not all of them are his disciples, or should we say they're not all true disciples. They're following him. It's true. But not, only, not everybody who follows Jesus is a true disciple. This is just a fact of life. And so what Jesus is doing is teaching his apostles and he's also sifting that group of people that's following him. And he wants to show everyone, everyone, the state of their heart. Now, a true disciple listens to Jesus when he's talking. And a true disciple suffers along with Jesus for doing what is right. And a false disciple doesn't listen to Jesus, doesn't suffer, but suffers forever, later, for ignoring God. So, you know, everybody's going to suffer. That doesn't sound... Happy and wonderful, does it? But the important thing is a true disciple, a real disciple of Jesus, also receives the only true comfort there is in this life. And this true comfort overcomes all the suffering in this life for Jesus. That's what we're looking at here this morning. I'm reading in Luke 6 from verse 20. Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast you out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Now, we're starting here one of Jesus' sermons. And it sounds like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, doesn't it? Two things it has in common. Blesseds. But there's also some differences which are interesting. That is, in Matthew, it says that Jesus was seated on a mountain. But do you notice here in verse 17, he came down with them 
and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples. Those are two different places. Now, you know, Jesus was on a mountain in Matthew. That's why they call it Sermon on the Mount. But here, it's a plain, it's a level place. Now, in Matthew, Jesus begins by speaking what we know as the Beatitudes. Blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Well, he has nine of those in Matthew. Here, he has four. And he speaks after that of four woes that he never mentions in Matthew. Now, some people think that both Matthew and Luke are reporting the same sermon. And there are variations that are supplied by the different authors that explains the differences. And that's possible. But you know, I think another way to look at that I agree with is that we have two different sermons here. And the reason is, is first of all, the, the real possibility that Jesus preached this particular sermon over and over and over and over. This is something that itinerant preachers do. Itinerant means they travel. And, you know, you teach at one time, and then you go to another place where nobody's heard this. And so you teach it again. To you, it's familiar. To them, it's brand new. So it only makes sense that if you have something worth hearing, you repeat it. And this is something, like I say, that, that many traveling preachers do. You'd be crazy if you didn't. And especially in Jesus' time, he doesn't have an internet. He doesn't do a podcast. There's no electricity. So Jesus falls back on the three R's of learning. Repetition, repetition, and repetition. You see, these guys are going to take down the differences and keep them distinct because they've heard it over and over and over and over again. The 12 get it over and over and over again. To the crowd, it's going to be new. Now, repetition is why you know all the lyrics to the top 40 tunes of your youth. Why? Because you heard it over and over and over again. She loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you know that. With a love like that, you know you should be glad. See, we know this stuff. This is what Jesus is doing. These are his greatest hits right here. So you also have a freedom as an itinerant pastor or preacher to change things up as you see fit. You adapt it. The Holy Spirit leads you a certain way. And so the differences are important. Now, what's really interesting here is that while Jesus is in a different spot, he's on the plain, we could call this the Sermon on the Plain, You notice that it says in verse 20, he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples. Luke is emphasizing that Jesus is drilling his disciples. You know, he's not speaking to the clouds, and he's not preaching to the weeds. 
he's contacting the people who are right in front of him. He's drilling them. So everybody gets the sense he's talking to me. And here's another difference in Luke. He says, blessed are you. In Matthew, he says, blessed are those. Oh, well, you know, that could refer to like anybody. But here, he's changing it. He's drilling his people in their eyes to make sure they're home and the lights are on. And then he's saying directly to you. Yes, I mean you. He's going for that immediate sort of grasp and communication of a message. There is a true disciple. There is a disciple who looks like a disciple but isn't. And this is to test, to sift. Are you true or are you false? And see, an aspect of being a disciple of Jesus means you have to suffer. And he begins by saying, blessed are you poor. You know, blessed means happy. I was just looking at this in Hebrew because I'm in a psalm, and it uses that. And the word means happy. It's kind of a poetic sort of interjection, which is something that you say. Now, when something good happens, I know what I say when something bad happens, and it just comes out. It's the word derg. It's spelled D-R-G. And this word is not in Merriam-Webster. Because we don't actually know what the word derg means. And that way, I don't blaspheme by accident. Did this go wrong? Ah, derg. I'm not super happy about it, but at least I'm not blaspheming. So I feel good about that. That's an interjection. But this is the opposite. When something good happens, and instead of disagreeing with it and protesting and saying, derg, you go, wow, happy. You vote for it. You say, I consent. That is a good thing. Thank you for doing that good thing to me. Blessed. So, what is really hard to grasp here is that he says, blessed are you poor, which doesn't sound like something you would say blessed about. It was more like you would say derg. And I don't even know if they had that word back then, so I don't know what they would say. But he says, blessed. The context of this is suffering for the sake of the Son of Man. And remember that this is Jesus' favorite name for himself. He refers to himself constantly with this name that is only used one time in the Old Testament for that person who is presented to the ancient of days on the clouds of heaven as an equal. And he only appears there one time. Now, this is also what God calls Ezekiel all the time. He says, son of man, do this. Son of man, look at that. Son of man, say this. Well, this is different. One time it applies to a human being 
who is equal with God. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks on Friday nights. You're invited. And the big question there is, what happens to the Son of Man who's only referred to once and then disappears? Okay. We'll see you on Friday night, huh? Well, throughout the Gospels, Jesus is continually saying, I am that person. And he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now, poor means you don't have enough money to provide for your needs. But you have to keep on living. And you have to suffer this lack, but you're not dead yet. You just don't have enough. It is suffering. But it's not just being poor. It's not saying, hey, if you don't have enough money, you're happy. No, really, I'm telling you. It's a particular kind of poverty. It's because of Jesus. Now, you know that somebody came to Jesus and said, I'll follow you anywhere you go. And Jesus came right back with, foxes have holes in the ground, the birds of the air have nests, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Just to let him know, you really want to follow me, huh? And see, Jesus did not come to be served and to have a wonderful, comfortable life where nothing goes wrong. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom. You know that episode where the disciples are walking through a grain field and they're taking the heads of grain and rubbing it, getting rid of the chaff, and then eating that. You know why? They're hungry. Wheat gum doesn't taste good. You're chewing a plant. But it is food and it will fill you up. See, they went through times like that. So even though Jesus was rich, for our sakes, he became poor. That through his poverty, we could become rich. This whole idea of salvation means suffering. And if you follow Jesus, you will become like the Son of Man. In fact, you're going to lose all things and count them as rubbish that you may gain eternal life. That's the way it works. You possess nothing, but you make many rich. And you may not make the kind of money you would like to make so that you would be comfortable, so that you could say, hey, you know, if you want to get it, go ahead and get it. And don't worry about prime, we'll just, you know, don't even think about it. Can you imagine getting to that point where you just buy on Amazon with reckless abandon and woohoo, if you want it, get it. And the rest of us just look on and say, man, I wish I could do that. See, you're blessed, says Jesus, because you suffer for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, and you will own it in the future. He says, blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be satisfied. You know, it reminds me of what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 4. He says, to the present hour, we are hungry, we are clothed badly. I think 
that God has exhibited us apostles as the last in the parade, like slaves doomed to die. We've become like the scum of the earth because nobody wants to be like us. Be like that? Uh-uh. I hope it never happens to me, you know? The scum of the world, he says, the dregs of all things. That's what it means to be an apostle. And you know, this is part of it. You might not have enough food to be satisfied today, right now. You might be just skinning by. But that's part of it. And then you can look forward to being satisfied forever. He says, blessed are you who weep now. Why would you weep for the sake of the Son of Man? Well, you enter into a suffering. You know, the nation of Israel rebels against God. And that breaks his heart. But all the nations are rebelling against God. And it breaks his heart. Jesus is going to weep over Jerusalem because he knows they haven't got a clue what's going on. They do not know the time of their visitation. They're going to be leveled. Mothers are going to be killed. It's going to be gross. He says, only you had known what in this day would make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. And he's weeping. And see, you're going to weep because the people around you don't get it. The relatives in your family don't get it. They don't know. Why would you live like that? Why would you choose to be a religious nut of all the things in the world you could jump over the edge about? Religion. So, you know, you can weep for people's blindness. You can also weep for your own sins. Because you're aware, the more you go with Jesus, how little you deserve salvation. How little you actually bring to the table to serve God. You know, when I started out, I thought, God, you're lucky to have me. I got skills. And now it's like, why do you keep me around? Why don't you find somebody who can really produce for you? Why do you employ incompetent people? I've even tried to get fired. It doesn't work. <laughs> I, I forge a pink slip and it comes right back. So I have, I have mourned over myself a lot. But Jesus says, you're going to laugh. And you know what the laugh is? It's not at them or anybody. It's just a laugh like, wow. You're going to laugh for sheer satisfaction in the future. When there's no more sin, no more brokenness, no more crying, no more tears. A government that only increases with peace. And you go, <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> See, that time is coming in the future, but it's not right now. Because right now, men hate you. And they revile you. And they cast out your name as evil. They slander you. They'll kill you. For the sake of the Son of Man right now. Here's the problem. When you live for Jesus, you speak his message. You live his life. You are his disciple. 
you become like him. And people have a problem with you. Just like their forefathers had a problem with the prophets. Because prophets are speaking to God's people. All of God's people are in covenant relationship with God. Every single one of them. And yet, God's own people throw his words behind their backs. They ignore God. They're not listening. So God sends these men with his spirit upon them to speak to them, to remind them of their obligations and their commitment and what's in store for them because they're not listening. And over and over, you can read God saying, don't do this thing that I hate. Don't do this. You are the apple of my eye, but if you don't turn around, I will not spare. And you know, these wicked men did not appreciate God's messages. And so they would treat the prophets badly, beat them up, saw them in half, kill them. As you know, decades of you and we're done. And all of that hatred and mocking and murder comes from ignoring God and not listening to him. Now, here is the Son of Man. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than King David. He's the one presented to the Ancient of Days as an equal. What are they going to do to him? Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. So you're a disciple of the Son of Man. You are going to be hated, rejected, slandered, and even killed. And Jesus says, Hey, leap for joy. That is the response you get from those kind of people. Their fathers murdered the prophets. They're going to treat you badly and even kill you. But that means you're a true disciple. It means that his spirit is upon you. It means that you're speaking the very words of God. It means that you have a prophet's reward. You have a great reward laid up for you in heaven. So, you know, here's, here's a tough situation to be in. This world is broken because of sin and rebellion against God. Saving people, that's what God wants to do, but it's costly. It's not easy because you have to give of yourself. That means you may not have enough for you. And you have to take that on board. It's going to be heartbreaking because sin really is a tragedy. And people are not going to understand what you're doing, and they're going to reject you. And see, you need Jesus living in you. Because only he has the heart for this and the ability to give. And only he can give you what you need to follow him. But then Jesus goes on and says there's a kind of disciple following him who receives their comfort now, not later, now. And see, he says to them four times, Woe 
That is an interjection. But it's talking about grief, and it's talking about denunciation, which means you guys are wrong. You're blameworthy. What you're doing is evil. Woe to you. And it's crazy. Rich people are following Jesus. Those are his disciples. They're following him. He says, woe to you who are rich. Because you're receiving your comfort in full right now. And what he means is, these rich people are making a comfortable life for themselves. So they don't have to suffer. That's the whole point. Why suffer? If you can get everything that you need lined up, whoa-ho, life is great. I don't have to live hungry and rejected. I'm fine. I'm squared away. But see, that's not like Jesus, who thought about others and who gave really everything away to redeem others. That's not the way Jesus thinks. What it means is, you're only thinking about yourself. You're not thinking about others. He says, woe to you who are well fed right now, full. Because see, you're not thinking of feeding anybody else. You're not concerned about that guy over there. Does he have enough to eat? You don't care. Hey, I got enough. I'm doing great. Isn't that fabulous? He says, woe to you who laugh now. Because see, you're having your fun. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is going through. I'm doing okay. <laughs> That's fabulous. I don't care how anybody else is doing. Gosh, devil take the hindmost. But he says, you're going to mourn and weep. So that's coming in the future because you're going to find out the true value of things and find out what you thought was valuable is worthless. It's worse than worthless. So Jesus is going to, he has a lot to say about people who think they're doing well, and in reality, they're poor, blind, wretched, and naked. And he says especially, woe to you when all men speak well of you, because that's what their fathers did to the prof false prophets. Now, false prophets are not speaking the word of God. What are they speaking? They speak about prosperity and happiness. They tell people what they want to hear. Everything is okay. Everything's going to get better. This is what makes a false prophet. God doesn't send prophets to talk about blessings. That is completely missing the point. Because blessing is built into obeying the law of God. To please him in all respects, to worship him, to love him. Blessed are all those who walk in his ways and fear him. The blessings are built in. It's when people throw those blessings, those words, behind their backs, and God says, no, 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 no. Please don't do this, because you can't keep those blessings. You're going to lose them. Please do not do this. Please turn around. Listen to my voice, and obey me, and see if I won't pour out the windows of heaven on you. They go, nope, not going to happen. God sends the prophets to warn people, not to tell them about blessing. 
And any so-called prophet today that talks about prosperity and blessing cannot be from God. Blessing is built into obeying Jesus. You don't need prophets to prophesy of blessing. What you really need is a prophet who will humble you and bring you to that point where you go, I need Jesus. I'm a sinner. And do you know that when you turn and repent, even as a believer, the blood of Jesus washes you from all sin and God does pour out his blessing. But not like those guys say. It's not about material blessing. It's about true comfort. So a false prophet keeps rebellious people from listening to God. That is the scary thing. In Jeremiah 28, Jeremiah says to Hananiah the prophet, listen now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am about to remove you from the face of the earth because this year you are going to die because you have counseled rebellion against the Lord. And that chapter in Jeremiah says he did die a couple of months later. A false disciple doesn't rub anybody the wrong way, doesn't ruffle any feathers, because his lifestyle doesn't include suffering for what is right. In fact, a false disciple cannot be distinguished from somebody who's not even following Jesus. He's not saying anything different, and he's not living any different. His neighbors would be shocked to find out this guy's a religious nut. No kidding. He never said anything about it. He never did anything different from us. No kidding. Huh. Nobody listening to this guy would ever get the impression that things weren't right. Judgment is on the way. Never hear him saying things like repent or crooked and perverse generation. None of that. And so just by his very lifestyle and what he doesn't say, he makes everybody around him comfortable living a rebellious lifestyle against God and ruining their lives. Nothing to stop them. So what Jesus is ultimately saying here is either you gather with him or you scatter against him. So we just got to ask today, and I'm asking myself, because, see, Jesus is talking to me, too. Am I a true disciple of Jesus? Are you a true disciple of Jesus? A true disciple of Jesus listens to him. I would think that's the first requirement. Because if we're not listening to him, how are we going to learn him? How are we going to be like him? This is an ongoing thing for the rest of our lives. In Proverbs 19, verse 27, it says, Cease listening, my son, to discipline, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Jesus says, the one who has my words and listens to them. 
So you gotta, you gotta be listening to him and meditating on his word. And see, this is Jesus's attitude. We read about Isaiah 50. The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. That's how he lived. What an amazing thing for the ancient of days to talk to you and to receive from him. And if you follow the Son of Man, Jesus, see, he's going to do the same thing for you. And this is true comfort because he will sustain you, the weary one, with a word. I can't tell you how many times I show up in the morning and I'm beat, but I'm also discouraged in my soul. And it's a miracle to watch how I'm listening to God and I'm meditating and my whole attitude turns and I'm alive. I saw it down at the conference in Austria. I tell you, I was staying up late. 10.30 is the new three in the morning for guys who are 66 years old. Let me tell you. And I'm doing this, and it's crazy. I'm getting up in the morning, and I want somebody to hit me on the head with a hammer and kill me. But I'm meditating, and God puts my life back together again. And I go, God, this is insane. He knows how to strengthen you with a word. You don't have to bring anything to the table except you. There you are. Do with that what you will. And what does he do? Be strengthened. Be lifted up. Be encouraged. We're going to see in Daniel how Daniel sees a vision of this mighty angelic being. And he just, and the angel says, don't be afraid. Daniel goes, I wish I could get up, but I can't. <laughs> and he says, be strengthened. And then Daniel gets up, just like that. See, this is true comfort. This is what kept the apostle Paul going. You remember when he prays three times, if we just take away this physical suffering, I would do so much better for you. And God says, no. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, yeah. All of a sudden, this thorn in the flesh from the devil is not the big issue. The real deal is his power is made perfect in my weakness. Okay, let the hammer fall. You mean the weaker I am, the more Jesus is revealed in me? Sign me up, he says. Yeah, but you're not any stronger. When I feel his hand upon me, when I can do all that I need to do through him who strengthens me, so what? That's comforting, isn't it? That word of God enables an apostle with problems to be faithful unto death. Now, a true disciple sticks to Jesus no matter what, no matter how bad it gets, 
no matter what difficulties. Because people may not listen to you just like they didn't listen to Jesus. And you might have to go hungry. You might have to forego something that is lawful and okay, but right now you got to go for it. Kind of like how I felt when this guy comes up to me and says, you know what, Jesus told me to talk to you. And I was so tired, I could have just disintegrated right in front of him. But I can't hear that and not give him what I've got. Because right now it's time to give somebody something that's going to save their lives. Is now the time to poop out and say, hey, you know, i got to go to bed. Hey, go in peace, be warmed and be filled. No, it means do it right now and stay up for another hour. Okay, I accept that. That's part of it. That's what has to happen. Maybe this time I'll wake up with a stroke and die, and it's all over. I'm done. Yahoo, thanks for the last one, you know. But maybe I survive. Okay. I'm okay with that. So you might have to really mourn because you're praying for people, and you wish they would get it, and they don't get it. And they actually make you feel crummy. Because... You're trying to do the right thing and serve Jesus, and they just go. And it breaks your heart. And I've even wept about my own sin and the ways that I have quenched the Spirit and just been clueless. And I go, God. And I want to quit, but He won't let me. This is the funny thing. He's better than me, and it is worth it to learn that. But you know, I know guys who have quit. I've seen them leave the ministry and go back to doing what they were doing before. And you know, you can do that. You can stop the suffering. You don't have to volunteer for this. You can opt out at any time. Because you're serving Jesus and you have to go through things you don't understand. You have to suffer. You have to suffer. And you think, why am I prolonging this suffering? I could quit. But see, no matter how hard it is to follow Jesus, you keep on going. In John chapter 6, you can read how Jesus deliberately speaks something so hard that a lot of his disciples say, you know what, this is hard. Who can listen to this? And they just walk away. And then he turns to his 12. He says, you guys want to leave too? And Peter says, where are we going to go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So here's the deal about being a true disciple. You get to receive the real comfort, the true comfort. The only comfort there is in this life, and that is this wonderful salvation of God. That's in Jesus. See, Jesus paid for your sins. He died in your place. You were a slave of sin. And he set you free. And now you have peace with God. This is something that money cannot give. And Food can't give you this. Eat your way to peace? No. And everybody's good opinion 
can't give you peace because there is no peace for the wicked, says my God. You can have all these things and not have peace. To me, this is one of the tragedies of what's happening in Gaza right now. You know, they had something like uh, 36 hospitals in Gaza for 2 million people. I don't even know if we've got that here in the United Kingdom. You can look at videos of how Gaza looked, and it was prosperous, and there was food. They got free electricity, free natural gas, free petrol. Are you kidding? It looked fabulous. And you look at videos of it now, and it's bombed out. It looks like the moon. All you see are tank tracks and bombed out buildings. You know, they were getting something on the order of $700 million a month. from various sources, equivalent to $8 billion a year. Where is it now? It looks like the moon in Gaza. That stuff doesn't buy peace. They didn't get peace with that. There's only one peace. And that is the peace that Jesus makes by the blood of his cross. Then you have peace. And you know, Jesus enables you to see the future. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Now see, you can look at that word of God and know the future. You can see where your life is headed. Even though right now, if necessary, you have to suffer. You keep your eyes on the future that you see by the word of God. And you know, that gives you true comfort in your heart. This isn't for nothing. Your suffering is working out for you an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And you know the confirmation of your salvation? The token that all of this is going to happen is God giving you his Holy Spirit, his presence in your life. Not somewhere billions of miles away, but his presence in you. And Paul says in Romans 5, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And the wonderful thing is that when you have the love of God being communicated to your heart by the Holy Spirit, then it doesn't matter what goes on outside of you because you have something that is greater within you. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, this is true comfort. Whoever is born of God 
overcomes this world. That is true comfort. Now, you know, you can be a disciple of Jesus and not be receiving this comfort. And you can get strung out in your suffering. And you can think about quitting. Life can get very dark, unpleasant. And where do I go? What do I do? Well, in that case, you come back to the very, very first foundations. You listen. And when you listen, you hear the voice of your shepherd saying, Come to me. All you who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I'm gentle and humble, and you're going to find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. See? If you hear him, then you can turn to him and say, I am a sinner. I don't know what I'm doing. And it's okay. You're not going to get destroyed. He says, I already knew that. Because now I want to take you and wash you and cleanse you and deliver you of your burden. And I want to enable you to see all the way to that point where you are going to be spotless, blameless before the throne in great joy. Do you see it? Do you see it? And I'm going to get you there. Do you hear me? I'm going to get you there. So you know, I want us to be able to pray, everybody that wants to pray, and be able to just do this. And you know, it's not, I've seen people saying, you know, everybody who's discouraged, I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to come forward. I want you to take off all your clothes. We're going to pour gasoline on you and burn you. And you feel like, man, I'm not going to respond. I don't care how discouraged I am or how beat up or sinful. I'm not going to do that. See, I can't, I can't do that to you. If you want to pray, pray with me. And I know that God doesn't want to embarrass anybody. If anybody gets beat up and discouraged, I bet you it's me more than any of you put together. See? And I do this, and God's told me, it's okay. That's what I'm here for. So, it's okay to pray. Does everybody get that? God isn't stepping on anybody. This is what a real disciple does, is you regroup. So, rather than uh, make it awkward, we can just go upstairs. Everybody who wants to pray, and we'll do that, okay? Unless everybody wants to stay down here. I don't know. You know, this crazy building does not have that many rooms. So I'm not sure quite how to do this. But we can do this. I want everybody to receive real comfort from God today. Right? Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are honest with us.
and you tell us what is true. That living for Jesus is hard. And it's hard because it goes against our natural desire to just have a nice, easy life. And we would be satisfied with not having any wants, not having any needs. We would be happy with that. And we would miss everything. Because what you're doing is saying that suffering for the benefit of others is absolutely worth it. And we don't want to miss that. So please work in our lives. And please, please make us your disciples who are prepared and equipped mentally to suffer for you for the sake of others. To listen to you. To obey you. And this morning we need your comfort. We need your washing and cleansing. We need hope. We need you. And we can't live without you. So please come to our hearts now. Please meet with us. Please work out our lives right to the end. We trust that you will do this because you are God. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.